Welcome to the All Things Data podcast, healthcare edition. Oh my God, how apropos is this? We're talking about <laughs> healthcare during a COVID crisis, during a pandemic. You know, it's funny. I just watched Contagion the other day and I had never seen it. Oh, um, was that the Hong yeah. Kong, the one in Hong Kong? Uh, I think it was based out of Hong Kong, like yeah, the yeah. patient zero or whatever was out of Hong mm-hmm. Kong. And uh, like they traced it all the way through the whole like pandemic. And it was quite oh. interesting. It was much faster, whatever their their uh, actual virus was called. I think it's like MEV or MER or something like that. Yeah. Uh, that was much more uh, like the transmission rate was much higher. And the uh-huh. death rate was like immediate. It wasn't like it exacerbates in two to 15 days or whatever it is for COVID. <laughs> it was like hours and then you were dead. So I was like, whoa. So my mom, who at times has been kind of flaky with isolation and distancing, yeah, I yeah. sent her the movie and I was like, yo, watch this. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I think it's like, it's funny because it's like things with like the high, um, you know, infection rate value or the R, R, R value mm-hmm. was... Uh, you know, it's like Ebola, it's super contagious, but it's like, once yeah. you get it, you're dead. So like, yeah. once you get it, you start showing symptoms and then you're not really contagious because you like immediately get isolated. Yeah. You're going to have to watch uh, Contagion again, just to see how, how relevant or how Hollywood it is. Yeah. Uh, I, then I, because I had watched Contagion, I also went down a rabbit hole of YouTube and there was a Contagion versus COVID comparison, not versus, but like, uh, like a comparison between one and the other. And they even did the the protein folding and the virus, <laughs> like basically yeah, looking yeah. at genetic code. And I think that leads us nicely into what we want to talk about to start, which is drug discovery, which is all of that. It's like genetics and how the virus mutates and how it, you know, really interacts with the human body and our genes. So um, I haven't really been in the world of pharma, even though I have a sibling who who is very big in the pharma world, but um, yeah. you have. So maybe yeah, we can a little, talk a little bit, a little but bit. It- Drug yeah, discovery stuff. Yeah. Definitely not an expert here, but I no. know that, you know, um, you know, the kind of the big breakthroughs in AI is just one is uh the maturity of like protein folding models and like, you know, I mean it's the models itself are getting more mature and I, I believe there's probably a ton more of um you know, pre-trained models or things that sure. can leverage a lot of transfer learning, but also like the cost of compute. You know, like even in the last two, three years, it's gotten down, right? So I think, you know, even just brute forcing your way through it is, uh, is a lot better. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's, it's, in the, it's in the data collection. It's like things like gene sequencing is way faster than it used to be. You know, I mean, how long right. did it take to, to, to do the human genome? <laughs> years you know, it was and like, billions. <laughs> yeah, billions. And then now they can sequence something in like a week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, you know, with targeted medicine, I think, you know, uh, the big thing with data is that it's just the ability to sequence um, tumors really quickly. Um, mm-hmm. Chemo used to be spray and pray, and it was yeah. very, um, you know, you would just have cancer and then they would just blast you with chemo radiation obviously after a um after you would uh get surgery but you know now it's they they kind of extract the the cells and then sequence them sequence them and then 
they actually kind of match you to the right type of chemo. So like, for example, if you had like, a, if you had a lump in your lung, you know, typically they may say like, you know, this chemo is more lung based, but then they'll be like, oh, you've got more of like a prostate one. So we'll mm. actually yeah. use, we'll match you better. So I think, you know, data, the, the ability to like process that information is a lot more, I don't know, readily available. So, I, you know, and I, I know that this type of cancer treatment isn't everywhere yet, but it, it's definitely becoming more and more prevalent. So I think that's, that's going to be awesome. And then, you know, the, the drug discovery is just cheap compute, I think. Absolutely. Like probably I mean, I think one money. thing during COVID that um, I remember reading and pretty recently, maybe like in the last two or three weeks, because I mean, all of this is really recent, was right. that um, AI was really, was like turned on to uh, looking at old research uh, papers for potential treatments, like on drugs that are, that currently exist. And uh, they did find one drug, I don't remember the name because it's like some funky name or whatever, uh, but they did find one drug that looked promising, which would then allow you to uh, skip one of the trials, basically. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I think the AI company was, it had a funny name, like, I'm not sure, don't totally quote me, but I think it might have been like benevolent or something, uh, yeah, yeah. which which went through and did this. Uh, so I think that's one way that, I mean, it's again, lookalike modeling, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's collaborative filtering, it's a lot of AI techniques done in a way that looks for ways to treat something with something that already exists, right? Right. And well, I mean, it's also the modeling too, right? Like, there's, I think that, you know, I saw something on contact tracing that was really interesting. And it's, it's just the idea of like using AI to look at like probabilistic models of like transfer, you know, like mm -hmm. on the subway and like, you know, if someone was to touch it and like, you know, you can, if you, if you have a person's um, information, I mean, like cell phone information, you can follow them around. And, uh, you know, I think it's just being creative and finding new ways to like model things, you know, or like yeah. how to apply a model to a certain situation. So that's uh, that's really interesting, but you know, kind of kind of going back to you know drug discovery. But you know, I was talking a little bit about cancer and like you know the big thing. Radiology is a big one. I have a yeah. couple of friends who are like oncologists, and they're you know they said that you know a lot of their time they're just sitting at home looking at uh, their home offices, looking at image imaging, right? And yeah, they're just there to to diagnose. And like, I mean, if you look at a lot of people's <laughs> Kaggle portfolios you'll always find like cancer detection ones mm -hmm. so I think I mean it's it's awesome that it's there and it's awesome yeah. that you can apply you know machine learning to it but yeah I've actually seen very recently again speaking of COVID uh, I think it was the University of Waterloo and Darwin AI actually did a a thing on um, oh the Darwin guys I love those guys yeah I know the Darwin guys are cool um, they took a bunch of and it wasn't a lot like a, by a bunch I, I think it was like under a hundred um, chest x-rays, you know, several of them had a cold or flu or something like that. Several yeah. of them had pneumonia. Most of them were healthy and then some of them had COVID yeah. and they started to train and I don't know how accurate it is, but I mean, I know that it's possible. What they're doing is very possible. It's a classification problem. So it's like, it's cool that they're, they're up to this and it's cool that radiology, like radiologists and radiology and x-rays yeah. and everything and I mean, like CAT scans, all that stuff, everything that uh, a very trained person is looking at a picture and identifying something yeah, is very part and parcel to what AI can do, right? It's image recognition. That's right. right. So 
And well, it's also you, super slow to do it too, right? Like, I mean, yeah. how many, I guess it's like, how many do you look at if, you know, if you're looking at like unit economics, right? It's like, how many can a doctor look at a day or a specialist yeah. look at a day? And then how much can an AI do? And yeah, I don't I mean, think it's like, I don't think the AI would necessarily replace the doctor, but you may exactly serve right. as like the worst ones or the ones that you're like, I'm not certain. I don't have a high degree of, uh, of, uh, of, certainty that these right. are yeah that these are actual whatever something patients right yeah that's right and like well the thing is too is it's more like not replacement but like augmentation right so it's mm-hmm. just like you know maybe it's looking through a million images and they're like okay doctor go look at these like 100 i've smashed them down into like here's like the super obvious ones and then mm-hmm. doctor you need to look at these ones to help make a decision but you know it can it can definitely um you know speed up the process but i mean ai is good at speeding up the process right so like the whole thing is is like you know there's this whole like you know automatically like doing it in workflows right so like read and interpret scans without human oversight you know and that gives you like the insta interpretation and maybe it's like it's it's good because it's you know you're doing this for underserved communities or like rural or places where you know people don't always have access to so just as long as you have access to like some sort of imaging um Mm -hmm. you know that that might be able to help at least right yeah Um, for sure i mean if you look at like if you think of og sort of automation or a robotic automation or whatever we want to think of i think like in in medicine outside of like the checklists uh the first real automation was and that's not the first real automation but the first novel automation and technology was probably the electronic health record uh yeah, and yeah. I've, I've seen and heard of these companies being around <laughs> for at least like 15 years oh it seems God. like no one is really winning that fight just yet there's oh. a bunch of it's like a big fractured e-health ontario of, yeah it's like all over right oh but painful why don't we talk about the promise of what ehr should be like or could be like and what it might get to get us if we do it right at some point yeah i think well i think ehr the big thing is is like um, owning your own health record. So, I mean, there's so many benefits, right? Like one being, Hey, it's portable. <laughs> you know, it's like, if you go to your family doctor, you know, or even your dentist, everything is paper. Well, yeah, I, absolutely. I are, right? like I go and I check and it's like, there's just a shelf of, you know, folders yeah. on the back and like really ugly metal uh filing cabinets yeah <laughs> behind every like admin or, or secretary right. or whatever you want like front office staff basically <laughs> just like That's oh right. my god this is like 1982 <laughs> exactly and it's like you know if you go to a hospital you don't have that family health care background right and the problem is is that like your family doctor is seeing most of your problems like when you get to a hospital it's not a good thing especially if it's an emergency right so mm-hmm. you know the the availability of information is probably like the biggest thing. Like, you know, it it follows you around. So, you know, even if I'm going from, if I'm moving city to city, I don't have to like bring my file with me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, even imagine you're just moving doctors, not even cities. Like, you know, like what if I remember when I was younger, my doctor was already an old, old, old woman, like probably in her late sixties. And I mean, I ended up moving cities, but had I stayed in the same city, I'm, pretty certain that I would have changed doctors by now. So <laughs> there goes, like you have to go and get your records or requests for them to be transferred over or That's all right. that stuff. Right. So it's, it is, it's, it's onerous on the, the patient themselves, especially, and that was a healthy patient. Imagine if I wasn't right. It's yeah, just another right. little bit of, of like, you know, 
weight on your shoulders, I guess, right? That's right. Well, and I mean, it's, yeah, and it's hard, right? Like, so, I mean, bringing, bringing your records around just doesn't make sense. But I mean, I think another, another thing that's really interesting is just like looking at if all the data is in one spot. So pretend all EHR vendors are able to communicate with each other. So if I went from one doctor to another, you know, it's as simple as like, you know, clicking a file and then you have access mm -hmm. to it. Um, they have all that data in aggregate now. So you can do like population studies. You can exactly. look at like anonymized records of everyone with diabetes and how often people are going back to see their doctor, right? Mm -hmm. Or are people um, bouncing around multiple, um, multiple walk-ins, right? So you can kind of see how that works a bit faster. And I mean, I'm sure OHIP has a lot of that information because it's billing, but it's not, you know, in like, I guess that machine readable format and also like the format where you could run kind of like more detailed studies on it. Right. Cause I'm assuming OHIP just looks at the billing, but like, what are the things very likely in charts? You know? Yeah. Um, oh, for sure. And, and then that just makes it better. Like it kind of leads into like, ex like customer experience. So it, it sounds mm -hmm. weird to say that or maybe <laughs> call it patient experience. Sure. But you know, like I, I in Ontario, the big thing is, is that like medicine is a coordinated effort and it's usually coordinated through your like primary care person, right? Practitioner. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you go to a hospital, you know, your, your files are there and, you know, stuff gets moved on and you see a specialist and stuff, but it's like this idea of, um, the whole wait time, like, you know, hospitals are measured in their wait times. That's like the big yeah. number they have to bring down. And uh, another big one is readmission rates. So just making sure that all works and turn around end to end. So going from admission to testing, to procedures, to connecting all the dots and like EHR kind of solves a lot of that or like the data capture within the hospital. So like that idea of like a connected hospital yeah, and hospitals spending more time delivering care versus organizing it. You know, this is kind of weird, but do the pharmacies have a, like, if you go to several pharmacies, do they have a version of something that says you're on these 43 drugs and you're not getting them all from us? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> or is that also fractured? I don't know. I'm, that's what I'm asking you. I think it's fractured because I mean, each pharmacist or each pharmacy has its own record. So like, if I go back to my pharmacy and I've, I don't know, I remember one time I was like sick with, um, and I needed, uh, antibiotics right? yeah and then they were just like oh yeah you were on antibiotics whatever and then the doctor just like called in and said yeah like just top them up yeah and it's easy but if i go somewhere else it's like they don't know and i'd have to do it again and like you know those that thing doesn't yeah. follow me around right so like having a relationship with that pharmacy is a probably like an important thing to do which is kind of silly but you know it 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 needs to be done yeah 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 so you need to have several relationships with the patient if there are no portable That's records right. basically yeah yeah which... and and it's just, it's again, it's like part of the pieces, right? So it's like, there's doctors, there's nurses, there's pharmacists, there's testing, right? So like, mm -hmm. if I had to go get blood tests, how does that like tie into my EHR? You know, if I got a blood test at one doctor and then I go somewhere else, it's like, I don't know what my test results are. Right. So how do I yeah. like tell them, you know, what my iron levels are low or, <laughs> or whatever yeah. it is, right? So I think there's, you know, there, you know, having all that kind of in one spot is, um, is a very, uh, very important thing to have. And then, you know, making sure that patient experience is just, it's more seamless. But then again, like, you know, I was working with a uh, startup called Excelion and their whole 
purpose was just reducing readmission rates through hospital acquired infections. Oh, cool. Yeah. So yeah, basically like the whole thing is, is that if you get for every 1% of compliance for like hand washing in a hospital, there's like a 0.6% reduction in hospital acquired infections. In oh really? Each, yeah. It was, it was oh, crazy. Like the outcome was not huge. For every yeah. one person that gets readmitted, I think it's $40,000. Wow. Yeah. So it was, it was pretty crazy. So their, their whole thing was they would just track you uh, based on your, you would have like, you know, how you have the stack of cards when you're in a hospital, like you, you beep into places or you have like your little, yeah. um, you have your little whatever badges and stuff. Yeah. One of the badges is an NFC badge and mm-hmm. or an RFID badge and right. then RFID readers around the hospital. So basically as you like walk around, it can kind of see where you are. And then it's like yeah. contact tracing. So like if someone got sick and then you were in the room at the same time, mm-hmm. they would know that you were there. And then you oh, were the, cool. the practitioner could be the person you could spreading be patient it. zero or whatever. Well, yeah. Be zero, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it would measure like your hand washing opportunities. So the way what's happening mm. is, is that they have, <laughs> when they measure compliance to hand washing opportunity, basically it's a guy standing in a yellow vest with a like clipboard. clipboard. <laughs> yeah, and then they're just watching <laughs> yeah. you. Right. So, you know, um, there were some hospitals where they're getting like 40% compliance. What? And like, yeah, but you know, when they're reporting it, they're saying it's 80 because they know the person's there. So Hawthorne uh, effect where you're just like, you know, you're being monitored. So therefore you're going to comply. Yeah. So it was super interesting. And then once they put those systems in place, I mean, it wasn't about penalizing. It was just about finding opportunities to help people. So they'd be like, oh, these like, you know, here's your bottom 10 people in terms of compliance. So yeah. we have to like do some habit forming or whatever it is on that. But the, you know, there's a whole bunch of other things they could do. It'd be like a person, um, like sanitation of equipment. So, you know, what piece of equipment got sanitized when that kind of stuff. So, you know, they had some huge, they had some really big, um, big wins in hospitals overseas, but I think it was just really difficult to get the system like that put in place in Ontario. So they were doing stuff in like the middle East Asia. I think it was just cause it's, you know, they move a little faster there. Yeah. Is it all in the eye or with the lens of like uh, removing risk from a hot? That's basically what it is, right? I mean, you're going in there mm-hmm. and you're already in some kind of trouble. So you want to remove as many risk markers as possible, right? That's right. Well, it's a huge cost thing in the States, right? Because what happens is that if you get an HEI hospital acquired infection, the mm-hmm. hospital's on the hook for it. right? Oh, and right, you can okay. sue the hospital too. So like, you know, in Canada, not it's not as the risk isn't as high because the government's footing the bill. Right. Right. But like at the hospital, because they're private in the U S like they want to reduce as many of those as uh, any of those situations as possible. So the motivation is higher there. Right. So that makes a lot of sense. Uh, What about if you're looking at uh, like I had seen one show, I don't remember if it was Netflix or HBO or something a long time ago where, um, and this is still kind of futuristic, but like they basically had sensors embedded into human bodies. Uh, I don't know if they were like nanobots or something. I don't mm-hmm. quite remember the premise of it, mm-hmm. but they were looking at like kind of like precog or predictive uh, care, like really <laughs> yeah, yeah. starting to figure out, oh, well, you're, you know, like you're showing signs of this sort of. It's like a super Fitbit. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a super Fitbit. That's what it is. So I don't, I don't think we're going there just yet. But like, do you know of stuff that's going on with predictive uh, inference, classification, all that stuff yeah, uh, yeah. in hospitals and in, in healthcare generally? Yeah, so there was this uh, stat that I saw that was like 75% of deaths 
um, in 2020. So this was a couple years ago, but that's what they predicted um, are okay. to be from chronic diseases. So chronic diseases being like, you know, diabetes, yeah. uh, high blood pressure, hypertension, those kind of things. And, um, you know, some of them are preventable. Some of them, it's more about management, but all of it mm-hmm. kind of goes back to data, right? So like, you know, the US, um, they're, well, I mean, I think anywhere, like prevention is like just significantly, like astronomically cheaper than um, than treatment. For sure. Right. So it's just like people making lifestyle changes. Um, I mean, and that's, that's also the hardest thing to actually make happen is lifestyle changes. Right. Yeah. So, you know, there's, I mean, there's a bunch of things like I know Fitbit and Apple are getting into, I mean, I probably every, you know, smartwatch company is trying to get Mm -hmm. in, but uh, I know Fitbit and Apple health are like big and, you know, they're, you know, there's Fitbit for uh, companies now. Right. So like if you're getting a certain amount of sleep, people like there's i've heard of companies like if you get more than like seven hours of sleep a night they give you 50 bucks a week oh really oh i thought it was actually the um like the benefits provider the insurance company that was actually going to reduce your rates i thought that's how that worked no there's Uh, a company well there's like one company was doing this but that's crazy right like so they're just trying to incentivize their employees to like you know be healthier or if um Mm -hmm. you know what i mean also they have to opt in for those kind of things so it's like if you're exercising or you have an elevated heart rate of more than X minutes a week, like you get Mm -hmm. some kind of like benefit or whatever. Oh, that's quite cool. Yeah. So like, but it's kind of creepy that your work is like making you do that, but it is. Yeah. It's uh, you know, it's, it's in everyone's best. It's in their best. I mean, it's creepy, but in a sense it's, it's sort of like, if you think about it, even if you're married, you spend more waking hours with everybody at work than you generally do with your mate. Right. So yeah it kind of is the person who should be doing it. <laughs> yeah, it's not a right. person, but like, it's, well, I guess it is corporations, right? But whatever. Um, well, there's yeah, that whole, so, like, there's that whole idea of like the, the WHO calling like the social determinants of health, like SDOH or like SDOH. Okay. And like, you know, and, and basically it's just saying like, you know, understanding uh, AI is really helping understand that and predictive yeah. analytics is like, you know, the different factors in your lives that influence your health, right? So it could be things like whether not just like getting the flu or like living in a, a neighborhood with a doctor, but it's things like what's inherited, um, what you eat, where you work, right. uh, you know, those kind of things, like what your local air pollution levels are like. So there's the environment versus genetics kind of thing. Like people not having access to water is probably a big problem or like access yeah. to clean water or like access to shelter. And like, so, I mean, or that's why it's like, a, even, right? exactly, yeah. exactly. Like st- even things like stable income, right? Yeah. Like in the U S poverty is a thing, right? So those models that they're running, um, I'm not sure what kind of neural network they're using, but they're using like, um, they're using them to help like model population and then just being like, okay, this neighborhood people, uh, people have like a low index or indexing Mm -hmm. low on these like SDOH. So like, these are the preventative measures that people should be taking. Like even I bet you things like, you know, breakfast at school for kids helps that because, you know, it, it gets them into like better habits, younger or like, how do yeah. you reduce diabetes or, you know, congestive heart failure and COPD and all those kind of things, right? So like, those are all strongly influenced by those social determinants. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. So like running the models on that and being like, oh, these are the factors, you know, and then how do we, and then that, I mean, and then you got to figure out the strategies to help reduce it, but at least it's like, you're figuring out 
you know, who would have thought 20 years ago that poverty or like low income, like nobody, maybe, maybe nobody thought of that yet. Right. And yeah, AI fixed it or maybe not. Right. I don't know. But I don't know. AI probably made it a little more accurate anyways. Or at least it validated it. Right. Cause That's I'm sure right. there's a lot of people who thought this is probably a thing, but we can't really prove it. And then it's just like, well, if we model it, you can see it. we've simulated the world and That's obviously right. this is a thing. And the, like, so the, the capture is huge, right? You have the yeah. data now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if we were looking specifically then at, uh, you know, the future and going at it with the lens of everything's possible, what might pump the brakes on us? Like what kind of challenges or what kind of roadblocks might we face with this stuff? Oh man. I mean, the first thing always is privacy right? mm-hmm. and like of ethics. Course. So I think yeah. those things like who owns the patient data, is it you? Is it the hospital? Is it the EHR? Is it the government? Those kind of questions I think need to be answered. So like around the ethical use of your data, I think is another big thing. Right. And um, even like standardization of data capture oh, and like the way that it's reported, right? Cause huge. Well, that, I mean, that's the problem in Ontario right now is that the whole EHR, uh, debacle or like e-health, right? Like basically they said there's a standard called HL7 and then everyone, every vendor has to, you know, they made it an open adhere market, to it. adhere okay. to it. And then vendors, like I have some friends that work at EHR companies and they're like, we still can't read or we can't transfer data between two systems properly. Right. right. Because it's like they're using quote, quote, the system. But like, I think the data definitions just weren't tight enough at the beginning. And so yeah. it's like, it's still wild west. Everyone has their own record. Everyone has their own format. Everyone uses their own database. You know, like it's none of this, it's not like USB, you know, where you just like plug something in or ANSI where text yeah. just, you know, is. So I think there's a lot of like interoperability problems with, yeah. you know, there. So I think, you know, you calling that out for sure is, is definitely a, a, a big thing. I think uh, another, I think another big thing is just, um, you know, I keep kind of going back to ethics and like, who gets to, you know, who gets to sell your data? Um, who gets to use your data in studies? You know, even if you're de-identifying people, is that okay? Like, mm-hmm. this is like private information. Like, do you have to consent to this stuff? But, you know, at the same time, like, if you have diabetes, I would love to know, you know, everything about you and model you against, you know, a pool of another million people. Oh, absolutely, yeah. That, right? So, like, how do you kind of balance the patient's rights and privacy and then... Like the other thing is, is that there's 100% going to be a security breach. Like they're just, this is never not going to happen. Right. And what happens when that happens? Who is on the hook for that? Is it the provider? Is it the hospital? Is it the, you know, like, so I, I don't know. These are all questions that kind of get out there and then is it moving to blockchain is it whatever it's called now distributed ledger tech (laughs) 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 distributed ledger technology (laughs) Um, but how do you store it is it something that you only own and you can only unlock is it you have like a little key that you have to walk into a doctor's office and then like put your fingerprint on it or something and then it comes unlocked or so like i don't know like dual factor off with your phone you're just carrying around the yeah yeah, (laughs) the authenticator (laughs) it's like what are are those little um keychain things sort of the the, fobs rf uh what was it called yeah like the little fobs in the rsa yeah secure id or rsad yeah yeah yeah, Yeah, yeah. so you have one of those i mean that might be a that's a very low fidelity way forward like you have to have that on you and that guarantees that it's safe right 
That's right. And like, no one can snoop in. Like, cause the thing is, you know, it's like, if I work in a bank um, mm-hmm. and I have access to the term, like if I'm a teller, I can open up anyone's account That's and like, true. look at it. Right. So like that shouldn't happen if it's medical, like you can't just type someone random health number, health card in and then see that person. Right. So like, there's gotta be yeah. some kind of, um there's to be a lot of logging for sure yeah, but yeah, yeah there has to be controls as well like actual authentication system or authorization systems behind it yeah and i think it's just like the idea of like having tons of data is amazing but it's just like how do you protect the people with it right but i think the other thing too is kind of going back to what you said is just the data itself and like data and accuracy you know are the sources like machine readable are they yeah. you know like people are writing are people writing notes down still like even on a tablet does that get translated does that get like ocr'd into real text yeah you know so i mean all that like unstructured data or like you know my sister's a physio and you're charting stuff right so like will that be part of your ehr in the future because like it is part of your health right and then they're doing things but then also mental health you know like mental health is part of health so like where and how do you layer that in right so right and it but i mean it's like things like um all of it's there like in ontario your your dentist isn't part of ohip unless it's like emergency yeah right so like does that get tied in what about like your optometrist like these are all health related things so do those get put into your ehr and like how does that you know like how is that portable and then because typically when you think of each i'm going to the doctor but what about all these like peripheral that's like, right pharmacy it's the other thing too is is like what if i mean you know, if you're really like going deep on this like if you have a dietitian and if you have a, yeah, a trainer they should all be right. part of your health record right because like that's those right. are things that are completely going to impact uh your longevity your quality of life and whether or not you're sick right Exactly. Well, and the other thing too is, is also like it can help reduce um, substance abuse problems, right? So things like, you know, say I have an opi- opioid addiction yeah. and uh, and I'm on perk, like looking for perks, and then I can I go to like multiple doctors, and then like, can I can I get flagged at a a pharmacist, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, so yeah, like yeah. you're just like going around shopping for prescriptions and stuff. So those are all good intentioned ideas but like how do you do it so it's not like super creepy where a pharmacist is like hey man i saw that you filled a prescription on whatever uh yeah a couple days ago like why do you need some more right things like that but yeah i think you know and then building the building the data and the ai around it i don't think is that's that's not the hard part no you know, the no, mo- I think models all of models. the walls that need to fall before you can get to that are the hard part, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think, yeah, I mean, uh, the idea of it's kind of like... It's funny that we we always kind of like back ourselves into this corner of, you know what, we'd like privacy, but without privacy, we'd get to do so much cooler stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, China styles. China yeah, styles. it's just like, yeah, if we were an authoritarian regime and had access to everything, it'd be, it'd make for really cool, like everything right like you could move things forward a lot that's right that's right and yeah i think i mean i'm assuming china is doing like really (laughs) well and like really fast on yeah very likely yeah they're they're likely to be moving at like breakneck speed right now just simply because they have access to this data and they can tell people exactly what to do at all times right 
Exactly. Yeah. So that's fast. And I mean, it's, it's interesting because I mean, they can do longitudinal studies. Like, I mean, if they have the HR <laughs> yeah. there, they're just like, boom, I have a billion people in my database exactly. and now I can like solve diabetes. <laughs> or something yeah. yeah. Like even, a, even a super rare disease, like, I don't know, like Crohn's or something, if they really wanted to learn about it, they could yeah. be like, okay, well, we only have 400 people with Crohn's, but that's more than everybody else in the world. So let's study. Well, you and know? the other thing too, is I know all those people that's true right? it's exactly. like i don't even have to exactly. recruit i know who they are like that's creepy though imagine that with the test results of everything for your entire population so like you can map anything it's like how many mm-hmm. people have crohn's how many people have like i don't know copd Parkinson's how many people or yeah, or, yeah how many people got a, got the flu last year yeah you know, like yeah, yeah. it's crazy yeah for sure i mean that's also why you see a lot of countries where there is tight control whether it's authoritarian or just like you know somewhere in the middle of like we're kind of looking like democratic but we're kind of authoritarian like singapore is yeah Uh, you end up with uh they they get to innovate much quicker on these things and when something like a pandemic happens they can move so much quicker and get to a place where they're handling it faster that's right they're ahead of it they are and like i've even noticed in the west we've been giving up a lot of our our privacy and a lot of uh our like a lot of the privacy that we used to have 20 years ago is gone because of what we carry on us all the time that's right and also because of the amount of cameras and and sensors that are everywhere and i think it's it's both a slippery slope and also awesome for everybody who's in the data ai and tech game because the slippery slope is i really care that not everybody knows everything about me but i also like the benefits of all of the stuff that comes from giving away all of the data yeah of a population obviously right that's it's, right it's one of those things i'd like for everybody else to give up their data but not <laughs> <as> mine. <laughs> it's well it's interesting how they can i mean the whole dnot like de-anonymizing or not de-anonymizing anonymizing, anonymizing <laughs> everything yeah. um and that gives you know at least a better look on it but it's i think it's balancing the paranoia and the the benefits right and like how are they really anonymizing it you know can they really trace it back to those kind of things so like you know, I think it's, it's, it is a slippery slope and there's always going to be like the ethical conversations. And I, I hope that there's more and more of this like type of anonymizing tech or anonymizing techniques that keep it out. So mm-hmm. it gives us the balance of like, hey, <laughs> you can have my data, but not know it's me. Exactly. Yeah. Great. So I think that's basically all we have to say about healthcare uh, at a scratch the surface kind of yeah. model. Um, we could go super deep, but we're obviously not healthcare studs who know everything about <laughs> healthcare. That's right. Uh, so, you know, we're just talking to you guys about things we know, and that's generally what all things data is about. Yeah, for sure. And well, I mean, again, if there's any other topics that you guys want to hear about or people that we want to, that you want to hear brought on, reach out. We'd love to, to get in touch with them. And, uh, you know, this, again, this healthcare topic was brought by one of our users. So I hope you guys kind of keep pumping us ideas. Yeah. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Have a good one. Take care. Bye.